If you've got a Bible, let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, as we get to this next petition in the Lord's Prayer. And I'll read the prayer together along with verses 14 and 15, and then we'll dive in. Jesus said this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. In this previous petition, last week we saw where it says this, give us this day our daily bread. And in a sense, that is us going to the Lord to ask for our basic necessities and needs, our wants and desires also, right? But this is us coming to, to the Lord with our basic physical needs. Lord, help me have what I need for my life, for my family. And even because he's our good father and he loves us, he wants us to come to him even with our wants and desires. Come. But now we come to this section, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And this is a prayer where we are asking the Lord to meet our most fundamental spiritual need. Our physical needs, yes, but now we're turning to this place where we say, Lord, meet my spiritual need because I don't care who you are or where you've been or what you've done or how good you are. The reality is all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and have broken God's law. Every one of us. Even the most holy person you know on this earth. And even if, even if you don't believe in God or even believe in a morality that would say there is such a thing as sin, deep in our hearts, I think we all know that we have not loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Even if you don't believe in a God, you know that you have not loved your neighbor as much as you love yourself. That there are so many things that we have done that we should not have done, and yet there's also all these things that we should have done, but that we have left undone. And so there are laws broken in our heart and life. There are, there are sin in our heart and our life. And this is an admission of this. And the Lord has given us this prayer and this place in the prayer to stop and to admit, Lord, forgive me my own debts and also as, as I have forgiven others. This is also the part of the prayer where it's funny, whenever you're praying the prayer in a public setting and you get to this place, you're, you're praying along, you kind of pause, right? Are we going debts or trespasses, right? <laughs> debts or trespasses. And in our passage, both are mentioned, but I like the term debts, even though trespasses is more poetic and kind of flows off our tongue for some reason a little better. Debts is such a good illustration of what sin is, and when we hurt someone, what that looks like. Also, debts is a great illustration and a way to understand what it means to forgive someone and so i think it's helpful debts as a nation as you know this we are addicted to debt (laughs) we think nothing of debt Uh, most of us have some level of debt credit card debt uh, student loan debt is off the chart for good reason because it's so expensive we have large car payments and even now, our phones have become so expensive, we're getting small loans from our phone companies uh, to, to pay off our phones. We are indebted. And the federal debt is so staggering, it's like a number that's ridiculous. It's like, <laughs> this is a fake number, and it just grows, and it grows, and it grows. 
So as a culture, we have grown extremely casual about debt, but in this culture, in this day and age, when Jesus gave us this prayer, they were not casual about debt in all, at all. In fact, if you were indebted to somebody long enough and you didn't pay off your debt, then you would go to jail or prison for that debt. In fact, they would call prisons debtor's prisons. And the reason for that is because almost everyone else that committed a crime would be executed for that crime. Very few, uh, very few criminals weren't executed, and so very few people were in prison except for those people who were in debt. Now, if you owed me a bunch of money, I wouldn't want you in prison. I want you out working <laughs> so you could get a job and pay me back. But in this culture, it didn't operate like that. They would imprison you and expect your family or friends or somebody else to pay off that debt. And when the debt was paid, you were redeemed, in essence, and you were released from prison. And so when Jesus talks about sin as debt, it's meant to bring to mind an extremely serious offense that would bring serious consequences, because that's what it was in their mind. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I've been reading this book about the Lord's Prayer by a guy named Al Mohler. He's the president of Southern Seminary. And he said this about it. This petition reminds us that the Lord's Prayer is not a casual prayer for the generally religious. This prayer is a gospel prayer. We can only say these words and ask these things of God when we stand on the finished atoning work of Jesus. So this prayer, everyone loves the Lord's Prayer, whether you're a Christian or not. You love the Lord's Prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. It's poetic. But basically, this is a gospel prayer. This is us saying, I admit that I am a person, a, a, peop, a person who is in need of the cleansing work of Christ. Forgive me of my debts. It's an admission of sin. It's an admission of need, a spiritual need. But it's also... A prayer of hope, because in praying, Lord, forgive us our debts, Jesus put it in there because there is hope for us to have our sins, sins forgiven in Christ. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is a prayer of hope. That when we pray, Lord, forgive us our debts, we're believing the Lord is a God who's full of compassion, mercy, and grace, and forgives us our sins and our trespasses. Here's a question, though. If we are justified by faith through grace, if we have God's atoning work on our behalf, if we're forgiven of our sins, if, if he's cleared us of our sin, why would Jesus teach us then to continually, repetitively pray, Lord, forgive me my debts? If they're already forgiven, why do you keep asking on all the particulars? He's cleared us of all that. If we're justified, meaning counted as righteous, forgiven, cleansed, and cleared of the debt, why then keep praying it? And there's a couple reasons why, probably many, but a couple to think about, and one of those is this. God is both our judge, in a sense, but he's also our father. And as judge, God has cleared us of our debt against us. The sin debt is canceled. There's nothing that stands between us and him any longer. In Christ, we are now reconciled to God by his grace through faith. And so as relationship in, in terms of God as court and judge, it's cleansed. It's over. But God is also our father. And think about in terms of any human relationship, when... when <laughs> When there is a debt between us, when we've hurt one another and there's been sin against one another, 
How wonderful it is to have the other person admit that, to own that, and to repent of that. How restorative it is. Fathers, mothers, you know, grandparents, if, if you have children, think about this. Like, in, in our family, you know, we hurt each other. We're people. <laughs> in every family, there's hurt. We hurt one another. And when uh, one of my sons hurts me or, or does something that's against me or, or is wrong, uh, there has never been a point in my relationship with them where I have placed them outside of being my son. Never. I've never ever gotten to the point in my heart where I'm like, they're dead to me or they're no longer my son. That's just not happened. So no matter what they've done, whether they've confessed it, brought it up to me, repented of it, it's never removed their status as sons to me. But how freeing it is and how wonderful if when they come and would recognize, look, I've wronged you in this way. Will you forgive me? Owning what they've done. What does that do for a relationship? And as father, we're, he's already covered our sins. He loves us. He does not remove our status as sons and daughters. But in terms of our relationship with him, how restorative it is for us to be repeating in the liturgy of our life, Lord, forgive me my debts as I forgive those who have indebted themselves to me. He is our judge, but he is our father. He loves us, and in any healthy relationship, we need to come to him. The next part is more challenging. As we forgive our debtors, forgive us our debts as, as we forgive our debtors. Jesus teaches us not only to pray for our sins to be forgiven, but he's also teaching us to pray that we would become a forgiving people. And in this section, I want to stop and kind of press pause on the sermon for a moment and just challenge you, because when you came in this morning, you were given a circle, right? That's, um, we've been doing this. If you've been coming during this series, during the Lord's Supper, we're having you write out a prayer, come forward for the Lord's Supper, and to place uh, a prayer on the wall. And today I want to challenge you and ask for you to pray, as I'm preaching, <clears throat> pray and ask the Spirit to show you, who do you need to forgive? Is there bitterness in your heart towards anyone? Is there anger in your heart towards anyone right now? Who do you need to release from debtor's prison? Who do you need to free from jail? Maybe it's not somebody you need to forgive, but it's somebody who needs to forgive you, and, th and they won't forgive you yet. Maybe you've even repented, and that person just won't release you. Pray for that person. Maybe, maybe you have not yet repented of something you really need to, and you've been bitter towards that person or angry, but you need to say, I'm sorry. You've not yet done that, that work. Would you open your heart up as you listen to God's word this morning and, and say, Spirit, would you have your way with me? Who is it that you need to forgive? Who is it that you may need to repent to? Because this is a challenging prayer if you think about it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is such a challenging prayer. And at times I've worried that this prayer means to the extent that I forgive other people. I'm asking God, I've worried, does this mean that I'm praying, Lord, forgive me to the extent that I forgive other people? As much as I forgive other people, you know, uh, forgive me. Or that I have to be able to forgive others as much as Jesus forgives me. Because here's the thing, between me and God and you and God, I have incurred an infinite debt. I have. 
And, and, and God in his grace and his mercy and righteousness and kindness has forgiven me an infinite debt, and he has you as well. And it, this is problematic. If I'm called to have to forgive people who've indebted themselves to me as much as Jesus Christ has forgiven me, I'm in trouble because he is altogether righteous and holy, and I'm not. And so when Jesus, who's altogether righteous and holy, is offended by sin, the depth of that offense is a much greater offense. Why? Because he's God, and I'm not God. And yet, the depth of his forgiveness also towards people who come and confess to him is so massive, amazing, and infinite. I don't believe that's what he's saying. It's not to the extent of, but what he's saying is this. It does not make sense for the people of God who have been released from the jail or prison of an infinite debt to then in turn not be a forgiving people. It just does not make sense for us who have been bought with such a price, who've been released and redeemed out of the ultimate prison, to not in turn become a forgiving people. And listen, Jesus pulls no punches in this passage. And if you notice, like, <laughs> guys like me, we have to fill in the gaps and explain and, like, give you all the caveats and so forth. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't pull punches, and he never really follows up with a lot of detail. He simply says in Matthew 6, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. As your pastor, then I quickly want to say, yeah, but what does this mean about the gospel? Because I know that's what you're asking. Because, hey, at this church and, and the, from the New Testament, I read that we're saved not by what we do, but by what Christ has done for us. And is this a work? Is Jesus saying, like, if you don't forgive, like, or if you forgive, you're earning forgiveness? No, that's not what he's saying. He is saying this. We don't forgive in order to be forgiven. We do not forgive in order to be forgiven, but we do forgive because we are forgiven. We don't forgive in order to be forgiven. We forgive because we've been forgiven such an infinite debt. Are you with me? But if you're a person that refuses to forgive, if you're a person who refuses to forgive, you may be a person who has not yet actually repented to God and actually trusted God in the gospel. And that is a, a warning that Jesus most certainly is giving here. J.I. Packer is a great theologian who wrote uh, also a book on the Lord's Prayer and says this, those who live by God's forgiveness must imitate it. One whose only hope is that God will not hold his faults against him forfeits his right to hold others' faults against them. God has forgiven us an infinite debt. And so it's inconceivable for a Christian to remain in a place where we nurse bitterness, and we do though, don't we, at times? To remain in a place. It's like when you're cooking, when you're really cooking and have the time to cook well, and you're reducing things, and you're, you're letting it simmer, you're taking time for, for the protein to break down, and for the sauce to, we love to simmer sometimes in the juice of our bitterness, and, and the broth, and, and, and just let it simmer and boil, 
and what the gospel is saying to us, yes, but you've been forgiven so much. How can you dwell on it? How can you live in it like this? Colossians 3, Paul says this, put on then like a cloak as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. In the same breath that we're praying, Lord, forgive me my debts, and I want the Lord to forgive me my debts. In the very same breath, in the very same phrase that I'm praying, Lord, forgive me my debts, Jesus teaches me to pray as I also am forgiving others. As I'm also forgiving others. When do we forgive? How do we forgive? In a sense, we have to bring a gracious and forgiving spirit every day into all of our human relationships. I mean, how could any marriage survive if it wasn't covered in a forgiving spirit of grace? How could any parent relationship, how could any child have enough patience for their parents or any close relationship in a human capacity at all, how can it make it without us just covering some things in grace? (laughs) In marriage, for example, if you confronted each other on every single issue, can you imagine what that would look like? I mean, you'd get up, have coffee, and go, all right, sit down, you know, number one, go, you know, like, you did this, you did this, yeah, well, my turn, now, you go back and forth, you'd, you wouldn't even get the garbage out on Tuesday, because you'd just be doing this all the time, so I can't fathom what my marriage would look like if Becky brought up every offense, every trespass, like, it would just be following me around the house all day, right, because she covers our relationship in grace, she covers our boys in grace, and she brings up some stuff, I have to cover her with a little grace. She covers our relationship with an enormous amount of grace. An enormous amount of grace. In 1 Peter 4.8, it says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. There are more minor offenses, trespasses, minor trespasses, minor offenses that we just have to cover in grace. Not everything can be confronted. So we live in a spirit of, of forgiveness. But listen, some of us need to hear, hey, don't confront everything, but some of you need to hear, but there is a time to confront even on these smaller trespasses, because if you're not careful, they build and build and build, and they become, they become a big deal. You know that. So it's not as if you never talk about the smaller things, but how much we just have to bring a forgiving spirit into all of our human relationships, or we really, we just really won't survive them. But then there are major offenses. There are major abuses. There are major sins against one another. And every single time as a preacher, there's just subjects that are difficult to talk about. One of these is forgiveness. And every time I get to a place where I have to talk about forgiveness, I feel the weight because I know in a room this size and two services that at least a third of us have gone through an experience in life and suffered some serious abuse. It could be sexual abuse. It could be physical abuse. It could be emotional abuse. Somebody that you loved and trusted, in almost every instance of abuse, it's almost always somebody that you loved, that you trusted, that you gave your heart to, that you should be able to trust. A parent, 
um, a grandparent, um, a father, mother, a, a boss, a, a doctor, somebody in life that you should be able to entrust your life to took advantage of you. And it's a major offense. And so when it comes to the subject of forgiveness, what does that look like? How do we deal with that? And I want to unpack this at multiple layers. Some of us have been through much, and this is a touchy subject. Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so when he says that, what he means is this. You either make the person that has sinned against you at a more major level, uh, you make them pay, or you pay the debt. Right? I mean, that's what it means. Somebody's indebted themselves against you. So, like, if I loaned you $20,000 and, and, and you're unable to pay it back, guess what? Guess who's paying that debt? Uh, me. <laughs> if you loan me $20,000 and I don't pay you back, then, then somebody has to pay the debt, right? You'll pay it because I'm not paying it back. You've, you, that money came from somewhere. It was your money. It's gone now. I mean, we don't think about it when we're dealing with an institution like school loans or car loans, that kind of thing, but when it's a real person, we get it. You have to pay the debt. And so when you're forgiving someone a debt, a, an emotional debt, a hurt, you are paying the debt. Or you give them justice. You give them vengeance, what they deserve, right? And they pay the debt. And there are times that in this life, absolutely, people have to suffer the consequences of their actions. But regarding our debtors, we either make them pay the debt or we pay it. We put them in prison or we free them. And Jesus is saying, whether they have to suffer the consequences or not, we are to forgive them. What does it look like for us to pay the debt? Here's a few. We pay the debt when we refuse to dwell on the issue, on what they did. That's the beginning of, of paying the debt. And I want to dwell on it. When somebody's really hurt me or done something that's really hurt, maligned my character, whatever, said a lie about me or said, said something that's not true, I, I will play it in my head. I will go to bed thinking about it. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I will replay it in my mind. And when I get up, it'll be the first thing that I think of. Right? I mean, are you with me? You play it in your mind. You dwell on it as you're driving uh, to, to work, and then maybe over time it, it, it lessens, and you don't think about it as much, but then it'll pop up again. And like a fantasy, you'll, you'll think about it and dwell on it. And part of it's real. Some of it may be bitterness, and you're thinking about vengeance, but some of it's just you can't get over it. The hurt was so real and so big, you keep thinking about it. But when you have decided to forgive someone, and it is a, it is a decision, you begin to pay the debt. I refuse to dwell on this. I've released them. And when I first got a car and got car payments, like right out of college, I, I bought an old Honda Accord, and I got a little booklet. And every month, I would tear off a page, right? This is back when people did this. Like, and you tear off a page, and you write your check in the booklet. And I saw how many, but I would have to keep paying the debt, and forgiveness is like that. It's very rare that you write one check and pay the debt. It hurts. If somebody's really hurt, you have to keep paying it down. You have to keep going back. Or I write another check. I, another way in which we pay the debt is when we refuse to talk to others about them in negative ways, and we want to so badly. 
would you please pray for them? <laughs> because this is what they did to me. But we don't do that because we pay the debt. We're not going to gossip about them. We're not going to keep telling the story. We've already told the story. We don't have to tell it anymore. We're going to stop. I've decided to pay the debt. So we write another check. I'm paying the debt. I'm not talking about it. I'm not dwelling on it. I'm releasing. We pay the debt when we don't lash back or say unkind things. We pay the debt when we leave the vengeance to the Lord. And if somebody has really harmed you and hurt you, you need to hear this. This is a truth. It's not a fun one. But the reality is this. The gospel is true, and anyone that comes to faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus cancels their debt by his life and his death on the resurre- and, and his resurrection. And so anyone, <clears throat> anyone who has really hurt you, if they repent to God and to you, then, then Christ, and, and look to him by faith, Christ cancels that debt, and he paid for it on the cross. If they don't repent to God and to you, there's coming a day of justice where they will pay for what they did, not only to you, but in the entirety of their life. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let me take care of it. And so you you can forgive and let God deal with the justice of it. We pay the debt when we leave vengeance to the Lord. And so this raises a question. Are you able to forgive someone if they never repent? Can you forgive somebody if they never say, I'm sorry? Is it possible? And people argue about this, to be honest. I read a ton of books about this this week, and articles, psychologists, theologians, and pastors, and people have different viewpoints, but they all kind of agree, and and it's different wording for it, but ultimately what they all say is this, that there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And that we're responsible for what we can be responsible for and which is the beginning of the decision that I will have a forgiving spirit and I will be open to this person being a repentant person and I will be open. I am going to choose to forgive them irrespective of what they do. That there is a responsibility that I have and then there's a responsibility that I don't have. I can't control what the other person does, right? But ultimately, you can call it I, I, I've decided to forgive, but I won't grant forgiveness until they repent, if that's one way you want to call it. The way I describe it is this. I'm responsible for forgiving, but reconciliation is a different matter. In order for us to be reconciled and be in a relationship together, well, that requires them to actually repent and own what they've done if there has been serious hurt. What if somebody refuses to say I'm sorry? What if somebody... We're talking about serious offenses. What if somebody refuses? What if somebody has died and cannot repent? What if somebody's just moved away? They're, they don't want to talk to you. They don't return your calls. They don't, they're not going to repent. What do you do? Steve Cornell, writing for the Gospel Coalition, I read this article this week. It was so helpful. He said this, In many cases, Even if an offender confesses his wrong to one he hurt and appealed for forgiveness, the offended person could justifiably say, I forgive you, but it might take some time for me to regain trust and restore our relationship. The evidence of genuine forgiveness is personal freedom from a vindictive or vengeful response, but not always an automatic restoration of relationship. Words alone often are not enough to restore trust. 
When someone has been significantly hurt and feels hesitant about restoration with her offender or his, it's both right and wise to look for changes in the offender before allowing reconciliation to begin. The process of reconciliation depends on the attitude of the offender, the depth of the betrayal, and the pattern of the offense or abuse. When an offended party works towards reconciliation, the first and most important step is the confirmation of genuine repentance on the part of the offender. We are responsible for what we can be responsible for. Jesus is calling, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He's saying, we must become a forgiving person, but we live in a broken, fallen world where there are some evil people, narcissists, some people that are so bent on wrong, they won't repent. You can handle your side of the equation and say, I will leave vengeance to the Lord. I will release this. I will not dwell on this, and I'm going to let them go. And here's why. Because if you don't, you give your heart over to bitterness, and this begins a process where you begin to drink this poison of anger and bitterness and hatred and vengeance, thinking all the while, it's going to kill them. But you're drinking poison. (laughs) It's killing you. And there is a benefit to forgiving the other because you are releasing yourself also and you're obeying God and releasing them. But we so often think, I will do them harm by being bitter, but it's only killing you. It's only killing us. Friends, we have to encourage one another. Exhort one another to be a people who are forgiving people for the sake of your marriages. For the sake of your children, your grandchildren. Some of you have a no concept. Students, I talk to my you know, sons all the time about this, like, I'm not married, I can't think about you know, my parents. My w-. Think of future, your future self. <laughs> I'm always telling my sons, future so-and-so needs you to do this right now. I know you don't want to do, but you're gonna, you know, t- your 10-year-old self will thank me someday when I made you study or do this hard thing. Do your future self a favor, your future children. Your, become a forgiving person because bitterness destroys us. Are you quick to judge? Just be honest. Are you critical? Are you a troll? <laughs> we now have a term, in, you know, a, a term, a social media term of trolling, like just because people are so Take pleasure in just roasting others. It's ridiculous. Are you self-righteous? There's only one who's righteous. Are you bitter? It will kill you. Today, you received a circle when you came in. It's the prayer that we want you to pray this morning as you come forward for the Lord's Supper, and we've been doing this each week during this series, and I know it's not always comfortable, But I'm asking you, and the prompt for the prayer is this, Lord, grant me the power to forgive, dot, dot, dot. And we do not, these are anonymous prayers. I don't want you writing somebody's name um, or your name. It could be a symbol, it could be an idea, it could be initials. Lord, grant me the power to forgive. It could also be, Lord, grant me the power to repent. I know someone, I've hurt someone really badly, and I've not repented. It goes in both directions. And in both sides, the Lord says, repent to one another, 
and forgive one another. We should be meeting each other in the middle, running towards one another. I, I repent and I forgive. I repent and I forgive. Release them. And today, if you write this person's name down or somebody, you know, I have someone in mind that I want to forgive, I want them to forgive me and they just won't. <laughs> and I can't control their action, right? But I can pray for them that they'll release. Put their name on there and, and make this an act. Maybe this is the first installment in your payment book. I'm going to forgive them. And today's the first step. I'm going to write their initials and just, boom, that's the first payment. And there's many more to come. I'm not going to talk about them. I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm going to have to keep paying it down every day. I'm going to be paying it down. I don't know how long, but I'm going to keep paying it down. Maybe this is the first time. Maybe this is the 25th installment on your payment program. But pay the debt. Choose to forgive. And as we close, I'm going to read a poem by J.I. Packer, and then we're going to go to the Lord's table. J.I. Packer wrote this, Forgive our sins as we forgive. You taught us, Lord, to pray. But you alone can grant us grace to live the words we say. How can your pardon reach and bless the unforgiving heart that broods on wrongs and will not let old bitterness depart? In blazing light, your cross reveals the truth we dimly knew. How small the debts men owe to us, how great our debt to you. Lord, cleanse the depths within our souls and bid resentment cease. Then, reconcile to God and man, our lives will spread your peace. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that for each one of us, and knowing that in this room there are many stories of deep betrayal and abuse, and just general hurt that people have done against us. Every one of us could tell stories where somebody that we loved and trusted has done great harm. And so there's need for forgiveness. There's need for you to empower us, Lord, but it just doesn't make sense for us to imprison others when you have released us from an infinite debt. You've redeemed us out of the infinite prison. And so, Lord, may we bring into our relationships the grace to cover a multitude of sins out of love. And for the major offenses, Lord, would you do your work enabling us to forgive, paying the debt, paying the debt, because you have paid our debt. We ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen.